0: Deesha Dyer joins me for our election special of Skimmed from the Couch, where we're taking a look at different careers in politics. Deesha started in the White House as an intern and worked her way all the way up to become a social secretary for President Barack Obama. She is now a speaker, writer, and the founder of Be Girl World, an organization that empowers teenage girls through global education and travel. Deesha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Welcome to Skim from the Couch.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Me too. So I've been excited to ask you to skim your resume because I find your resume probably one of the most fascinating we've had on here. So it's all you.
1: Sure. So thank you again so much. And so, you know, my resume kind of after, after high school was, was kind of all over the place. I went to college like everyone else. Didn't like it. Didn't understand why I was paying so much money to get a degree, to get a job that I couldn't. Get pay the loans back and so kind of dropped out of college. Um, From there, you know, I was always involved in the community, always did a lot of activism in the community, but I really worked around Cincinnati. Um, You know, that's where I was at the time, like at the mall, at an airline, at a hotel, just like really enjoying life, Um, you know, not really thinking like, you know, I have to move up in my career. What is my career? I kind of just took it easy for a while. Uh, I decided to leave Cincinnati around 2001, Move back to Philadelphia. When I got back there, I got a job at a real estate company um, as a secretary. It was a great job, um, you know, but I was like, I want to do more with my life. By that point, I had been very much involved in the hip hop community. I was a hip hop journalist, was always going on the scene, dancing at different places and at concerts, doing a lot of activism in the HIV AIDS community, the women's space before it was trendy. So I did all that for a long time and I wanted to be a social worker. And so I decided to go back to school. The only school that would accept me was community community college of Philadelphia Uh, so I went back to community college um, when I was 29 then around uh, age 30 Barack Obama started to run for office I had no knowledge of like how the presidency worked like I was like You know, I don't even know who works there, like at the White House, like little elves, like I have no idea how this works. And so I was like, I love to work for him someday, but like I don't have any connections. I don't know anyone. And so he won the presidency in 2008, 2009. He started. I got a White House internship application um, to apply to be an intern. And so I applied to be a White House intern in 2009. I got the internship. I was a scheduling and advance intern, which meant that I just did travel and uh, scheduling with, assisted the staff with that, with the president, and first lady, and the first family. Left there, wonderful time. It was great. Got home, went back to my job, went back to school. And then the White House called me in 2010 for a full-time job. So I moved back to D.C. Um, after the internship and took a full-time job in 2010. Started as um, being in charge of interns in the scheduling and advanced department moved up to the hotel director, then moved up to the deputy social secretary, then finally the social secretary. That was all the span of of about seven and a half years. Um, So that is my resume. Then following that, I went to go work at Ford Foundation as an advisor and chief of staff to Darren Walker, and then went to Harvard to do a a fellowship at the Institute of Politics, and then now run my own company. So that's kind of the, the skim of the resume. What is one thing that people don't know about you professionally? I, I mean, I think most people know this, but I think that most people don't know how much hip, the hip-hop culture was a part of my life and a part of me getting to the White House, really. I think that, you know, I wrote my essay when I was an intern about, you know, hip-hop uh, being used as a tool to, to help education in urban communities, you know? And so there was that, and then at the end of the administration, I end up, you know, doing all the the parties and the events and being able to bring some DJs in and break dancers and graffiti artists. So I think people don't realize how much probably hip-hop Played a part in the whole diplomatic protocol thing that people see that I do. So
0: I want to talk about why I've been excited to talk to you. Is that I I love non linear career paths. I personally am inspired by it, and I think I think it is something that people now more than ever need to hear about. Take me back to you are in college it is something that was a big deal in your family that that you got to go and have and have that experience you're also taking on it you know a tremendous amount of a financial burden to do that mm-hmm. where's your head at
1: i mean i think the thing about my family was and you know it's i like, guess it's a blessing and a curse in a way that they were never pushing for me to go to college it was like be a good human being like you know get a job if you go to college Amazing, we'll be proud of you. But if you don't, you'll figure something else out. And so, I never had this expectation that I had to go. But I went to a boarding school um, from fifth grade to twelfth grade that kind of did push college a lot. I think that you know, once I went and I you know loved the social life part about it. Like I loved the fun and I you know was on as in the band and the dance team. So I did a lot of stuff with sports and you know made really great friends through the University of Cincinnati band that I still have today and like the drill team and all this other stuff. It was great, but I just was like, I don't like class. I mean, I think that's I like everybody else. I was like, I, was, I don't like class. And I never had anybody pushing me to like go all the time. So I was like, I'm out. So I think that, you know, it sucked, but at the same time, I was very lucky that I was raised in a way that it was okay if you didn't follow that path. And maybe because my parents didn't follow that path, I was just like, they seem all right. So I think it's fine. So I think my head was really in like having fun and not the fun that's like irresponsible. Just like, I, you know, I wanted to go out dancing. I wanted to go out with my friends. I wanted to take, I wanted to do stuff, actually do stuff about like in life. And I saw my peers studying and all that, which I think is great. People go to college, but I was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Like I want to be out and about and I want life experience. And so my head was really in the sense, in a place of like, you know, I want to have a good time with my life and sitting in class is not a good time to me. I don't see the benefits of it paying off for me really. And so I'm going to do something else. But, you know, hip hop did pay off. Being in the community did pay off. And so at the end of the day, you know, it all came to fruition where, you know, I went back to school, you know, community college. And that was also the right speed for me. What I was
0: going to ask you is what made you go back to school?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. What made me go back is that I wanted to do, I was so involved in the community and I wanted to do social work and I wanted to do social work on a level of like, you know, being, you know, a counselor or something. And and you need a degree for that. You know, I was always volunteering in it, but I was like, I want to help people like and I do that now, so why do I need a degree? But in order to move up like in management in some organizations or whatever, they were looking at college degrees. And so that's why I went back. I went back because I wanted to be a social worker and work with you know, women and, and teens in the streets, which I would already been doing, but I wanted to do it on a professional level.
0: So, so when people come to you today and they're like, do I go to college? Do I, how do I think about higher education? What is your advice?
1: My advice is to, it depends, honestly, it depends on who they are. Like, if it's a black person, I definitely give different advice. I, You know, I say that you have to, number one, put yourself in a safe, a place that's safe for you, right? So do you feel like you're equipped for college right now, financially, mentally, physically, all those things? And then I ask them from there, you know, look at your alternatives or what you could do. You could decide not to go, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I always, I always go in the medium, which is community college. And I always say, you know, even if you don't know about higher education right now, just start at community college and start getting your gen ed classes. I don't care if it's one class a semester, two classes a semester. Like I did... Two classes a semester for five years and graduated in 2012. It took me five years, and I was at the White House when I graduated with my associate's degree. And so I think that what I do tell them is like, you know, even if you think you're not in a space to do that right now, a full time four year, that's not your only option. And so for me, I try to give them options of, of you know, and I mostly counsel young Black girls, you know, of of what other things can you do and how other ways can you, you know, still pursue your higher education but not feel like you know you're being swamped. You don't understand it. You don't know. You don't know how you can afford it. You don't want to be in debt. Um, so that's how I basically address that.
0: At 30 years old, you get an internship. Yeah. most people have if they're if they have internships have had them when they were you know in early 20s college age range, and you don't just get any internship. You get an internship in D.C. on Pennsylvania Avenue. What was your first day like as an intern, walking in?
1: Yeah, so I was 31. I mean, I was intimidated. I mean, like, who wouldn't be intimidated? I think that I was intimidated. I was scared. I was afraid that, you know, I had a nose ring. And so I was, like, afraid of that. And then I was afraid, like, my hair. I had my hair in braids. And, you know, I wasn't sure if, like, braids were acceptable for a black person in the White House. Like, I was just not sure. I didn't know how to dress. Like, all the other interns, you know, had on, like, navy and gray and black suits. And I was like... Yeah, I have like a black hair pants on, some Ross blazer and like a red, white top that was just like off. I wear for real glasses now because I really can't see. But I wore like fake glasses then because so I was like, maybe I look smarter. You know, I was like surprised because everyone else felt the same thing. No matter the age, everyone else was like, what am I doing here? Am I sure this is right? So I think that we all have that. and. I didn't, I just thought it was just me, you know? And I got very close to the fellow interns that were in my um, cohort. And then also I was very lucky. Like I had Alyssa Monica was my, you know, she was my boss. And so, you know, so I got really super lucky to have somebody dope and kind of like on the younger side, you know, leading the department. So yeah, so it was, it was intimidating though I'll tell you that much. And I kept thinking they're gonna turn me away at the door. You were able to kind
0: of find your own path. It seems like at, at almost all times. When you have a sense of self, there's like an innate byproduct is confidence. And what I want to understand is in going to a, an environment where all of a sudden people have, you know, it seems like fancier pedigrees, you know, around you, how you are able to kind of. Tackle imposter syndrome so that it didn't rock your confidence?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, I always have had a strong sense of self, but the two things about that are, is number one, my sense of self and my path was different from everyone else. And so that rocked my confidence because I was like, I feel, I think I'm doing the right thing, but nobody else is doing this. Or, you know, I feel like I should be going to college. And so I I lacked the belief that I was doing the right thing. So I was just like, am I wrong in doing this, you know? And then the second thing is, is I had to struggle with myself always changing. Like, you know, so like I was a big activist before the White House and I did all these things on the ground. And like, you know, then all of a sudden I'm part of the government and I'm like, how do I manage this? So I think that, you know, once I got to the White House and even before then, my imposter syndrome, you know, definitely flared up. I mean, I was the girl with community college. I didn't have a degree. I was like 12 credits in. when I went to a White House internship. But what I had to do when I advise people to always do is to play up to your strengths. And like what I did know how to do was I knew how to be like mature on task on time. I could speak up and say, I don't understand this and not feel like I was like, look, I can fake it or I can tell you I don't understand. Like, so I played up to what I knew how to do, which was like work. And so I was like a workhorse and I was like, I can work, I can get stuff done. And for me, that really kind of helped me twist the belief that I didn't belong. And, you know, and the thing is at that White House, we were all new. So like, it was like the people that were in Barack Obama's White House were like, you know, 25 and 26. So they were like, hey, I'm at the White House, my first job out of college, like, what do I do? So I think we've all felt that way. And so it's one of those things where you go in and you learn how to be, you know, you know, work at the White House, just like you learn how to do everything else, right? And so for me, it was, you know, overcoming my imposter syndrome was playing to my strengths and really like being able to keep my community at home that always like big me up. And so I always had a great support system when I wasn't in, you know, DC. They were in Philly, they were in New York. The hip hop community really came out for me. So it was like, I had a sense of self, you know, in a, in a strong nature because of people that were around me, you know, that may not be with me at the White House, but they always made sure that I was straight and I was good.
0: You know, you were able to work your way through numerous roles in the White House, from intern to obviously deputy social secretary to the, end up to the top job of social secretary. What do you think about you stood out that allowed you to kind of get promoted, get, get called back?
1: I think that, you know, one thing you know, that it was, is, like, my sense of community. Like, I never forgot the community. Like, you know, it was hard for me to be on the Washington social scene. I was like, what What the hell is this? Like, I was like, I'd rather be, like, at the homeless shelter, like, helping somebody. Like, you know, I'm not into this. And I think that I always maintain who I was. Like, I never compromised. I didn't know how to compromise. And so I think for me, that was a big part of it. You know, I think there'd be a, a more question for, like, Alyssa and, the, you know, the Obamas or whatever who hired me. But, you know, I think that... I always remain myself. You as
0: a person, I'm like, I want to be your friend because you like clearly know who you are. You clearly like have a good head on your shoulders. But then when I think about like, okay, somebody has to manage that. And is that a red flag to a boss of like, okay, are you going to be really hard to manage? How are you able to maintain your sense of confidence, your sense of voice while being able to be somebody that is coachable, who people wanted to invest in and have move up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it 100. I'm sure there are many people who, and I know this, that, that don't want to deal with me because of how I am. But I also want to deal with them. So I think that, you know, to keep it one, I'm going to be very honest with you, like, you know, I came from a place that I didn't have a lot. So... I'm not somebody who I need to impress people or try to change myself. And the thing about it is, is like, I am coachable. I am, you know, uh, you know. I won't say I'm easy to work with because I'm not. I stick to what I believe and I say that. And now we're in a state of the world where everybody's doing that, right? We can come out and say that Black Lives Matter and why don't we have a black person here? But I was saying that 10 years ago, you know, and and I was like the troublemaker. Right. But I had to understand that I could go home and I could look at myself in the mirror and say, I changed myself to fit this persona and not feel good. Or I could go home to Philadelphia and look at those girls in the face, the young girls on my block, the ones who look up to me and say, I did all I did to represent you. And to me, that was more important than how people perceived me. And I'm sure, you know, I lost opportunities because of that. Like, I'm sure that people say, like, you know, she's difficult or whatever. But I also knew when to strategize, when to say something and when not to say something. And that was a learning skill of maturity. Like, I was one of these people that was like, I'm going to say what I want to say, how I want to say it. And then, you know, I had an interview with Mrs. Obama where, you know, she was kind of like in a way like, you know, you have got to understand that there's a time and a place for everything. And I, the first time that I was just like, oh, there is. What was she saying that about? Well, she was saying that because when I got the job as social secretary, I think one of the things that she really thought about was my confidence. And she was like, you like your confidence, we like how you are. But, you know, but sometimes you have to watch, you know, when you want to pick your fights, you know, and I respect that. And I was like. You do? Because to me, I'm like, I'm from Philadelphia. Like, I'm always ready. Um, And so I think that going into a debonair job like the social secretary, I had to learn, like, not to be that way. And so I think that it's maturity also. It comes with maturity and me saying... Like, you know what, Deesha, now is not your time to speak. Yeah, you did do this wrong. There was a better way to do this. You weren't being inclusive. And I think that I've had to look at parts of my career, especially the last two years of the White House as social secretary, and own up to the times where I I wasn't, you know, like the best leader. I admit that, right? And so I think that, I, you know, I try to build on that now.
0: I was in researching for this interview, I was reading, you mentioned that earlier in your career, you weren't as strong in networking. <laughs> Talk to me, like, why? what weren't you good at? And then how did you tap in to get good at it?
1: I mean, again, I'm going to keep 100. I mean, Washington is a, is a beast. And Washington is very white. And it's very fit in this box and look like this and go to this party and correspondence. Like, that's hard for me. Like, that's hard for me because, you know, I remember social secretary, I went to, like, some rich person's house and I went to this party And my nails were like blue. And she's like, well, you clearly did that on accident. I'm like, no, I didn't. I feel like networking was hard for me because I never wanted to have to justify who I was to somebody else. I felt like you would see my work and that's how we could connect, right? Or we could connect on a personal level of something else. But I didn't want to work hard to make people think that I'm worthy of their time. That method did not, I did not understand it. (laughs) Like I was like, so I basically had to sell myself to you for you to want to be like, oh, I'll help you. And then I think the other thing in Washington was, is there were a lot of people who wanted to like have a savior complex of like, you know, the young girl from Philly who dropped out of college. And then I became like this pet project of people. Yeah. So I was like, nah, like I don't need to be out networking because I, it's, it's too much mental work. And also you have to remember that in that role, you never underst- I never knew whether networking was to come to that White House say dinner, or whether it was to come to something to get the president to do something. So I always had to be on my like, on my toes, like, are you talking to me because you're interested in who I am and what I do? Or do you want to come to this dinner?
0: So how do you give advice to young professionals, especially that could have similar stories and can say, I feel like I'm in a room and nobody's like me? And I feel uncomfortable and I want doors, you know, I want to open the doors for myself, but like I don't want to talk to these people. How do you advise them on like how to think about networking?
1: Yeah, what I say is, and how I approached it was, is I found the places where I didn't have to open the door, they were already open for me. And so a lot of those were circles of young, you know, people of color that were in Washington, you know, older black women that had been in the game for a while. You know, Mrs. Obama has a bunch of amazing friends that were always there for me. So to me, I never felt like I found those pockets. And when I say it's find those pockets of people that don't make you change or question yourself first. And then from there, it's amazing how much then the networking will open because, you know, I know somebody, you know, who makes me feel safe, who makes me feel, you know, I don't mind being uncomfortable, but who doesn't make me feel strange, right? And then... Going from there, right? But then also knowing that like the doors you like that may be hard for you to open may not be the door for you. And that's okay. And go outside of your you know, like the Washington scene. Like I wish I would have spent more time, like, you know, going and you know, doing stuff in New York when I was social secretary or doing stuff in different cities. Like I was like, I gotta be in Washington, I gotta be in the bubble, but realistically, like I should have been other places also networking. So I think that it's finding those people who will open the door for you and then how you walk through the door and where you go after that's up to you. But I think that finding those safe people where that don't make you justify yourself and who you are, which is, I think, extremely important. And so that I didn't get that till late in the game, like almost at the end. And I was like, ah, I missed nine years of, like, or eight years probably of meeting, you know, really dope people. And just don't be scared. I always tell people, don't, like, if you mess up networking with one person or whatever, don't, like, get so down about it. It's one person. My boyfriend and I, I practice, like, if I have a big interview I have asked I'm like, can I just practice something with you? And it sounds hokey, but it really helps me, you know, to, like, just practice. And he's like, you're going too fast. You're saying, um, like, you're talking too much about the White House. Like, you know, he's very, you know, give me criticism. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'm not done talking about the White House. Uh, no, it's okay. Social secretary. So I think we all remember that like infamous Jessica Simpson quote when she met the um, secretary of the interior and said, I love how you designed the place. So I'm not going to ask you... My
1: version of that question, but what does social secretary mean? That's hilarious. Um, the social secretary is the person who basically does all of the events, meetings, and hosting in the White House, in the ex- executive mansion. So, Mrs. Obama is like, you know, the house host. The Obamas are the hosts of the house. We help them communicate like their vision of how they want to open the house, whether it is a birthday party, July 4th, a state dinner, a meeting, a bill signing. So, we basically, the social secretaries, control all of that and basically report up to the president and first lady and say, like, you know, we have this idea, is this right for how you want this dinner, or is this guest list okay? And so we also work with all of the White House offices, like Public Engagement, like Domestic Policy Council, NSC. All right, here are my, here are my questions.
0: Who did you meet that you were just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you? Who are you most starstruck by?
1: I mean, I would say address Elba because that's just like that because he's just whatever, good on the eyes. But I mean, I would say the Pope. If I had to narrow it down to one, that's the one I would say. You don't want to like have him have a bad time. That was like the most nerve wracking. Well, that was
0: my second question. What was the most stressful day?
1: I had become social secretary in May and the Pope was coming in September. And I was like, he's a popular Pope. We have a popular president. Like, how do you welcome the Pope? Like, who does what? And I think that the day I spent the night at the White House, it was the first night I spent the night at the White House, I slept in my office because I was like, I don't know what the crowd's gonna be out like outside. If I try to come in, I can't get in. I have to be here at 4.30 in the morning. So it was like 4.30 in the morning, getting up, drying all the chairs from the dew, working with the visitor's office and the White House, you know, uh, residence office. So basically get everything together, getting myself ready. My dress ripped, <laughs> my dress ripped, the armpit actually ripped on my dress. And so like, I found the seamstress of the White House, God love them. And they sewed me back in the dress and they're like, don't raise your arm. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I didn't raise my arm the whole day. I'm sweating and I had this really beautiful dress on that was like, you know, covered everything you're supposed to have covered, you know, the day of. You're just manic. I mean, you're just manic because you're getting all the officials ready to, you know, greet the Pope. And then the president and first lady, you're running through them through everything. The state department's there. You know, the Pope rolls up, everybody's in place. We get everybody in, 12,000 people. The visitor's office did an amazing job under Ellie Schaefer. We had like, nobody pass out, we had no streakers, we had no protests, the sun was shining, it was a lovely day. The Pope comes, the President and First Lady greet the Pope, and then we start the ceremony. You know, I'm running around just making sure everything's good, the press is good, everybody's good. Then the choir gets up and sing, and it was a choir that I got two days before that I only heard like two lines of, so I was like, good God, I hope they sound really great. But the choir gets up and sing, the President and the Pope are swaying to the choir, I'm a happy person then we get done outside and then we have to go inside for like the book signing. The Pope signs a book and then they exchange the gifts. So they're exchanging the gifts. The book signing happens. I'm out the way and I'm just standing out the way. And then the president calls me over and he's just like, Holy Father, I want you to meet Disha Dyer. And I was like, so that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, I, you know, I'm background. So, like, I just said thank you. You know, I said thank you very much. It's very nice to have you here. And he was smiling and he's like, thank you for having me. But the picture's actually behind me. Oh, I see it. And uh, Pete Souza actually took a picture. And I didn't know that picture even existed, and you know, and the president smiled, the Pope is smiling. But I'm also like, you know, while we're here, like, you know, I want to be like, can you bless me for the rest of my life?
0: That would be like my first thing. Be like, I, I know this is not my job, but like, please just like take care of me.
1: Yes, I have I have some requests. Like they're an, they're yeah. an, I thought about this moment all my life, and so then the my favorite moment was when the Pope like rolled off because it was just like, woof! Thank God we're done. Like I just the sigh of relief that nothing went wrong. Every from there, I don't care what had happened. I don't care what crashed. I was like, everything was fine. It was great on camera. So that was my most stressful day, I would say. But I had an amazing team and amazing partners and obviously amazing president and first lady to trust me doing that and to kind of uh, be in cahoots with. So yeah.
0: How do you, after leaving the White House, the administration and how do you figure out what to do next?
1: yeah, Carly, um, you know, I think the first thing I thought of was, like, I have to pay my bills. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the paycheck stop. I have to pay my bills. This is not, you know, so I got to figure this out. You know, for me, it was hard because, you know, a bunch of our alumni were getting amazing jobs, like, you know, in San Francisco doing tech stuff or in New York doing stuff or starting podcast. And I was just like, like, I don't know what to do with my life. I have no idea where I go. And I don't know who's going to hire me. And like, I don't want to do events the rest of my life. And so, but that's what I'm known for. So I took probably about two to three months to kind of figure it out in the sense of just, like, regaining myself again, because it was like running a marathon for seven and a half years and you just stop, you know, and, and that's it. Like that, you know, you get a medal and you keep it moving. And so I think for me... I had to really think about the finances part, you know, right? But I also had to think about like, you know, the world is open to me now. Like, where do I go from here? What can I do next? That's exciting. I did something I never thought I could do. So like, what's the next thing I don't think I could do, you know? But it's hard because, you know, in Washington, the the parties changed over. And so yeah. it wasn't like, you know, there was stuff beating down my door being like, we'd love to have you doing this t-shirt or whatever because now a Republican is in office and it's different. We know when you don't really have an in with the top, you know, so it's just like, I don't have that in anymore where people see me probably as a benefit to help them with stuff that they need. And so it took a while. And then I had a great opportunity come to me at the Ford Foundation and took that opportunity. Um, and so that was my next my next step, which was amazing because I'd never been in philanthropy before. And what a great person to learn from than Darren Walker. And so, so, yes, it was a great next step for me.
0: You know, I think so many times, like, you know, I've talked to women in their careers and we've heard this on the show. It's like, when an experience wraps up how to figure out like what you're supposed to do next and how to even articulate to others when you are networking or going to advice, like what you want to do, like, how do you give advice around how to, Find that direction to, to tell others.
1: Yeah. You know, what I, what I say is I say, and, and this is, I, this is not what I did. So like I would, so I, this is not what I this is what I should have done. I, you know, for me is like, get your, like your mental health together. Like the use came off this experience or came off of whatever, like get in a space where you feel healthy enough to make healthy decisions for yourself. So it's like number one, whether it's like taking you know, a week off or like a two weeks or three weeks, whatever you're, you can financially afford. But then my next thing was, and I did this later was, I wrote down what I like to do and you know so I put I put down like you know I love to do social impact I love to do philanthropy I love to do all these things I'll do women's issues black issues I put down where I wanted to live I put down the salary that I wanted and I put down what kind of place I wanted to work for and what level and so I basically did this on a whiteboard and I started to research companies that fit in those things starting with who does who who does what I want to do here are the companies This is the place where I want to live. I don't want to go to California. That knocks out these, right? Then I was like, this is how much I want to make. And it's so researching. So that's how I started, really. It isn't how I got to the Ford Foundation, but it's what I did while I was at Ford, because Ford was only supposed to be six months and it turned into almost two years. But that's what I did. And that that helped me narrow down, like, I want to do social impact. I want to do philanthropy. I want to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. And this was years ago before everything hit this year. So, I advise people to do that exercise, like do that exercise. And it seems, again, hokey, but I also didn't want to take something because I needed something. I wanted to take something because I wanted to do it. And knowing that it may not be my top job, like, you know, one of those companies that I put down, it may be another job I get there and then I try to move up there or whatever. So I didn't also just kind of stick to, I need upper level positions that are like as high as the White House Social Secretary. Well, the reality is like... (laughs) I, I wasn't gonna get that right away, right? And so I had to be more realistic without compromising all the experience that I did have. So I say like, just do that, do that math of writing it all down and list companies that you wanna work in. And you know, and everybody has their dream company sometimes or their dream person they wanna work for, you know? So write all that down and continue looking at their website and LinkedIn and looking at opportunities, you know, to be there. And so that's how I say to do that. Um, but don't be scared either of just trying something completely new, like completely new.
0: So before we move into our lightning round, I just want to give you a chance to tell everyone what B-Girl World is.
1: Sure. So B-Girl World is my nonprofit that um, I co-founded in 2014 with my good friend, Marcella Hudson. And we really noticed a disparity in study abroad. Only 7% of study abroad are Black students. And so we started looking at that. And then as I traveled the world with the Obamas, and when we go to different embassies. I would see like there's no black people there representing the U.S. And so we create this program in Philadelphia for freshmen and sophomore girls in high school, black girls. Really, it's a two-year program to teach them about global education and travel, professional and personal careers in travel, foreign service, study abroad. And so we basically take them for two years, one Saturday a month, and we do different exercises all around global um, travel, global education. You know, different careers um, that you can have globally. Then at the end of the two. Years to take them on an international trip. And so we've taken girls to London and Paris and Madrid. And so it's based out of Philadelphia and it's amazing. And then we also have a scholarship for young black girls in college who want, who already got to study abroad to help them with finances. And so that's my nonprofit. And then my business is hook and fasten. And so that's a social impact firm that I have. So yeah.
0: Great. All right. You ready for our lightning round? I'm ready. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Last TV show you binge watched?
1: Rami. Worst professional mistake you made? Not knowing how to pronounce the mother-in-law of Prime Minister Trudeau's mother-in-law, her, her name. I know how to pronounce her name.
0: Last time you
1: negotiated for yourself? um, Just a couple weeks ago. What did you negotiate? I negotiated a salary for a job that I ended up not taking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was the best event that you threw when you were in the Obama administration?
1: I think the best event uh, that we threw was probably, um, oh, there's so many. Um, I would say it was probably like, you know, our last party, our goodbye party on January 7th, 2017. Probably was my, my best and it was just loose and fun and free and it was just great. So I would say that was one of my best. Best advice for throwing a good party? Best advice for throwing a good party is to really have a great DJ. Make sure that people are dancing no matter what, like have a good time, have a good DJ. And just make sure, take cell phones, take cell phones away so people really have a good time and they can't worry about how they look. They just are free and have a great time.
0: Deesha, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you, Carly. Thank you.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day sign up at theskimm.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M.com. Two M's for a little something extra.